scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 45, beginning with verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equipped you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Our Father, as we come to you this morning, O God of Jacob, the one true living God, the God of the Bible, the God that has always been and always will be, the God who is in this very room, we come to you acknowledging who you are. For you are worthy. Father, as we move into this time of opening your word, may we open our hearts. Speak through Pastor Chris your message for each and every one of us. Father, we know that you are revealing yourself and that you have the desire to speak to us today. So open our hearts and minds and allow that to happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whew. Amen. Today we're going to talk about what it means to have clean hands. Um, and a pure heart. And, you know, the few weeks before this, thank you, Paul Valdez, for bringing the word last week. Amazing job. Um, before this, I've been, like, giddy to come up and talk about the temple and the tabernacle and all the different things that are going on. But this week, we're going to begin, as we're going through the book of Exodus, to see the wandering of the people. Right, we're talking about the golden calf today. And, man, i got to tell you, I don't think I really even realized how much it would affect me this week in studying this people that are rebellious and then all of a sudden, like, looking in the mirror and be like, ooh, I can't believe they would do that. And then, like, um, can't believe you would do that, right? And so, man, this week for me has been sort of up and down this week of, like, oh, man, they're so crazy. And then I just see all of these things in my own mind and my own heart just, um, you know, tearing me up. And, and one of the things that I think, um, as P. Rob read that to us just a second ago, there is no one like our God. There is no other God that's out there. But the question that we're going to ponder today and the question that's going to revolve around and around in our head is this. Do you trust in the revelation of God or in your imagination of God? Revelation, God's word, what it says about him, or the picture that we have of God in our head? Those do not always match who God is and all of his glory and all of his intensity. We tend to boil it down into something that is a little bit different. So we want to build our, our lives upon the revelation of God in the Scripture. He's given us um, his attributes. God is love. The very definition of love is found in him. We've gotten the fruit of the Spirit. If we want to have joy, where does that source of joy come from? From God. If you want to have peace in your life, 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, bring your request before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We run to him for peace, even when it doesn't seem like we can ever find it. But he also gives us his name. He calls himself Yahweh, the Lord in all caps, the great I am. Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is our provider? Why do we worry about our finances? God is our banner. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. We hold him up. We make more of him. Or do we crumple up the banner and stick it in the back pocket? Do we hide our faith from others. But also, besides he being our provider, he's also a jealous God, which we've talked about through the book of Exodus. He's a consuming fire. You see, there's these attributes of God that we kind of want to turn away from because they make us sometimes feel uncomfortable about God. So today, we're going to really dive in to what God is and who he is. Because if God is love and we don't really understand that, we struggle. For example, have you ever struggled with the question, well, if God is love, how can he send people who don't know him to hell? And we, and we wrestle with this because we don't understand that God has made himself plain to us. That when you go outside and you look at the stars, they are the handiwork of God. That everything in creation screams out that there is a creator God. And through his eternal power and divine nature, we have no excuse. We should be able to say, man, this was made by someone. I want to get to know that person. And they came in the form of Jesus. Right? This is how we should be. Or we struggle as Christians to call sin, sin, don't we? I wonder why. One of the reasons is we kind of like our sin. And who wants to condemn ourselves? Right? But also, we sometimes feel like, as, as believers of Christ, it kind of feels mean to tell someone else that they're sinning. And in actuality, even though Scripture speaks it clearly to us. So the question is going to be for us, revelation or imagination? We try to make God into something that's a little bit more palatable for us. Now, I know, I know. I wish that God would just like write on the sky, Jesus is real. To see it is to believe it. Do you, do you realize that? that? That ain't true, is it? Like, let me give you an example. So a few weeks ago, we played a game with the youth called Legit or Fake. And now Jonathan, he didn't think you knew what legit meant. Too legit, right? Too legit to quit. You know what that means. Uh-uh, right? You may sing the song. Right? Too legit means is it real or is it fake? I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of the dab, right? Now, some people think the dab was actually created. By the way, dads, we cannot do the dab anymore. It is not cool. I'm just letting you know. All right, but some people say it was D. Brown, dunk contest. Anybody remember that? Pump it up, right? And then the no look, right? That was the invention of the dab. But this is a picture from 1942 on a, on a, during the war. Real? Is it legit or is it fake? What do you think? Legit or fake? Come on. You got to jump in, all right? You got to jump in. This is fake. This is fake, right? This is the movie Dunkirk. Right? They're on the movie set of Dunkirk. Um, it must have been cool to dab during that time period. So, um, so this, is, this is not. Okay, what about this one? Legit or fake? Yeah, jump in. Legit or fake? I, okay, listen, I know. Y'all are going, would it be two fakes in a row? Huh? Would he do it? Now, you're kind of working all out. I'm a teacher, right? I know your tricks. Right? I, I, know, I know how you work as the students out there, right? What do you think? Legit or fake? 
legit. This is real. This is in New Zealand, actually. It's called the Horizons. It is just a metal frame of things. I know, you're not going to believe me, right? Here's another picture of it with some cows. You're like, yeah, Photoshop. We know how you do this. No, you can look it up. In fact, the band of members, my own daughter, had to look it up out there to make sure it was legit. It is legit. This is actually a sculpture. Of course, you got to get kind of at the right angle to see it the best way you can, right? But this is an actual legit sculpture in New Zealand. Now I got you doubting. Okay, here we go. Next one. Legit or fake? Legit or fake? Now you're going, would he do all fake? This is legit, right? Just mirrors, right? Mirrors on there, but you get the right angle, kind of makes it look like you're kind of seeing through it, right? You see, seeing isn't believing. See, seeing, we can't trust our eyes anymore. So the question is going to be, are we going to trust our imagination? Because our imaginations can go wild. Are we going to be grounded on Christ and on the word, the revelation of God. So we're in Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to have to decide for ourselves how much are we like the people of Israel in this story, okay? Now remember, we've just gotten done with the tabernacle, the priestly garments. Moses has been up on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been fasting up on there, and he's been talking to God up on the mountaintop, and the people are still below. And it says in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, ooh, unmet expectations. Right? They expected him to come down. He hasn't come down. Now remember, Moses is up on the mountain. That mountain is covered with fire and smoke and clouds. Let me show you a picture of what it could have looked like. This is a picture of the wildfires that were out in California. Just, I think it was last year or the year before, that, that looks intense, right? Let's zoom out of that. This is what a city looks like. This might have been what it looks like if you're down in the city and you look up and you see that fire, how many of y'all staying around? How many of you are like, I'm out of this, right? So here are the people of Israel down in this you know, area kind of looking up on the mountain. And here is God. He's scary. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's voices coming out of this cloud And they're not all about that. And now Moses, the one they've been following, has not come down yet. Now, they don't have the tabernacle yet, but they've seen a lot of God at this point, haven't they? They've seen ten plagues come upon Egypt. They've walked through the Red Sea. They've seen bread fall out of heaven, water come out of a rock. They've seen incredible things, and yet they begin to doubt. And so we pick it up, right? Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron, remember Aaron was his brother, and said, up or come up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall feast to the Lord. To the Lord! They made a golden calf, and what name did they give this golden calf? All caps, Lord, or Yahweh. 
Here is Yahweh. Tomorrow we're going to have a feast to him. Right? And then they rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings to this golden idol named Yahweh. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. Woo! They're missing the mark here, aren't they? They're worshiping something made by human hands, the, cre- the creature rather than the creator. And so I don't know how you picture this in, the, in, the, in your mind, or, or I don't know how you actually picture God. How, what is your picture of God, or what does he look like to you? Does he look like Santa? Like warm, right? You just ask him for things, and he gives them to you, right? Does he look like a bank? Oh, Lord, I, I need something. I go to you. Does he look like a doctor? Oh, no, I'm not feeling good. I need to go to him. What does he look like to us? We have this picture in our mind. Well, for them, it looks like a golden calf. And so here's a picture. Here's a painter's rendition of what it could have looked like, okay? Now, it did not look like this, okay? What was it made out of? Golden what? Earrings. That is a lot of earrings, you know, that, that is a lot of golden earrings or, or really dangly golden earrings. So it was not that big. Maybe two foot maybe in that case. What about this? Do you think it looked like this? I mean, this looks fierce, right? This, this would be a representation of, of the Egyptian god Apis, right, who was this god of power and god of fertility. He was this creator god. But did they want a fierce god? No, because when you look up on the mountain, there's fire and thunder. They already had a fierce god. They didn't need another one. Maybe it looked like this. It said a golden calf. Well, calves are so cute. Right? They can't get their legs straight. They wobble around. They kind of run around. If a, if a calf started running up to you, you'd be like, oh, if a bull starts running up to you, see ya, right? Or I'm going to try to do my best, like, out of the way, right? Or I'm going to try to be faster than you, all right? So that, that's all. Different reaction to God. Now, now here is God, nice, cuddly, sweet, gentle. And that is part of who God is, isn't it? But it ain't the fullness of who God is. Because God is personal. He is love. He did give his life for us so that we wouldn't have to have the wrath of God poured out upon us. But he is also fierce. He's the God of all creation. So we forget that sometimes. Now, in actuality, it probably looked similar to this. This was the goddess Hathor from um, the Egyptian lore, right? The Egyptians had a pantheon of different gods. And this was the god of singing and dancing, of, of being happy. The goddess of being happy. And what else did they want? Man, we need to celebrate. We're not in Egypt anymore. We want to be happy. So I wonder, do you have a golden calf of happy? A goal out there that we point to. Because we see they're eating and they're playing. We're going to see in a little bit they're singing and they're dancing in this story. Man, let's not make an idol of who God is. Let's not try to fashion God into something that makes sense to us. Because let's look at his reaction 
to what's fixing, what's going on down here. All right, so verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt has corrupted, corrupted themselves. Do you notice how God says, hey, Moses, your people who you led out, right? All this time has been my people, my name. But now he's like, Mo, it's like two parents, right? Like, Tara, look what your son did. She's like, look at what your son did, right? <laughs> no, she's too nice for that. She's like, eh. Right? She's lets me, God convict me of it. But um, we see this, but that's not what God's doing. He's not blaming here. He's actually inviting Moses into the conversation. Now listen, God did not have to invite Moses in. God could have been like, done. I'm going to stop their hearts from beating. Party over. All done, right? God could do that, right? He's the one who keeps our hearts beating. He's the one who helps us keep breathing when we go to sleep at night. He's the one who holds all things together through the name of Jesus Christ. So he could have ended this quickly, but here he's inviting Moses in to a conversation. He's letting Moses be a mediator, right? He's letting him intercede between God and the people, right? Now, good news, we have a mediator between God and us. And what is his name, according to 2 Timothy? Jesus, praise the Lord, right? That his righteousness is imputed on us is no longer about what we do. That's why shame and guilt have no place in your life. Because Jesus has already paid that price for us. Right? So here we see Moses now being invited into that role for the people of Israel. They have sinned greatly. Moses now gets to be that mediator between God and them. So he's inviting him in. And then God's going to make his position very clear. He says, they have turned aside quickly. Out of the way that I commanded them, they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Mm, I felt that one this week. Because what stiff-necked mean, if you look in Deuteronomy 9, 13, which is kind of Moses is kind of preaching on this story, he says they were stubborn. No amens on that one. Okay. So we're stubborn, aren't we? We just have a hard time giving up our stuff, don't we? He says they are stubborn. Now, therefore, let me alone. This is God talking. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I might make a great nation out of you. So again, he could have smited them or smoted them or smitten them, whatever, already, but he did, and he invites Moses in the conversation, and he says, here's my intention. Now, we can get caught up in the wrath burning hot and miss what's actually happening here. Did you notice the end of that statement we've heard before, right? This, this last part which says, and I will make a great nation out of you, that's actually the Abrahamic covenant. If you go back into Genesis chapter 12, you see God talking to Abraham, establishing a covenant, an unconditional covenant for Abraham. And if you remember in that story, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, the land that I will show you, and I will make of you, make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. So here's what God is saying to Moses. Moses, it's time to reboot. We're recasting the Abrahamic covenant 
is now going to be lived out through you, Moses. And this covenant you're holding in your hands, this Ten Commandments, this Mosaic covenant, the law which brings death, we're just going to bypass that and I'm going to build a new nation through you. So God's position is very clear. Time to start again through you, Moses. And now Moses as a mediator between the people and God is now going to make his appeal to God. And he has two ways that he's going to make an appeal to God. But Moses, verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Okay? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out of the, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. So here's appeal number one. Moses goes to God and says, do it for your namesake. Do it so that your name will be made great among the nations. That's Moses' appeal number one. By the way, just for the record, God's name is not at stake. Right? God's name is not at stake because when Jesus comes, everyone will bow. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God's name is never at stake, but this is the appeal that Moses has, not for me, but for your name's sake among the nations, right? And then he makes a second appeal to him. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it. Forever. So the second thing he appeals to him is don't forget your covenant. Now, God did not forget his covenant. In fact, he just told him, just as Abraham was, I'm going to do through you. I'm going to fulfill the covenant through you. So it's an interesting appeal of Moses, but it's not something that God has forgotten about. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Abraham, okay? He already remembered that and he already made his position clear. But he makes two appeals, which I think are great appeals. One, for your namesake, O oh Lord. Number one, for your people's sake, for this covenant that you've given before. And then it says this in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. Now, this verse is used by people outside of these doors in order to try to cause you to doubt God and to doubt his sovereignty. And well, here's God, and Moses makes an appeal, and God like, okay, I guess so. Well, whatever you say, Moses, like God steps back in some way. So it's just one of those things that's misunderstood. So I want you to say, there's a word called anthropom- anthropom- can't say it this way, anthropomorphism. Can you, y'all can't, I can't even say it, right? Anthropomorphism is this idea that we as man are going to try to use the English language to describe God. And we're going to always fall short. Right, when we try to describe who God is, we're going to fall short, anthropomorphism. We actually brought it up on Wednesday with the youth because we were talking about the Trinity. Well, the Trinity is a word that we try to use to describe the nature of God. Three in one, distinct in, oh man, I don't even know how to describe that. There's no analogy that fits. There's no perfect description of that. We're just doing the best we can to describe God. And that's what's happening here is that we have this word relent that a lot of people want to focus on. And so let's focus on Let's see what's actually happening in this story. First thing I need you to remember in this story about God relenting, God invited Moses into the conversation, right? Your people. 
So God's invited Moses to have a conversation with him. That's the first thing. Second thing, this word relent, um, and you can see the Hebrew word for it. I think it's nakam is the word that goes there. It looks a lot like Nahum almost, the, the prophet. But this word actually means to re- relent with comfort. It's sort of like if you saw someone and something happened and your heart's kind of broken You'll relent from what's happening because of your broken heart. Like another place that this word is used is in Genesis chapter 6. Do you remember that conversation where God regretted making mankind? This word regret is the same word for relent, meaning that he in his his heart was broken for what the people had done to him. Because they're his bride. He, He loves them. He's provided a way for us, and yet so often the Bible describes as we whore ourselves out after idols. Right? We leave our first love and chase after other things, and it breaks his heart. And he, just like Hosea being the example, had to buy us back. Jesus paid the price for us. You realize that he made us, and then he had to buy us back. Why? Because we chase after idols. We chase after things all the time to try to find fulfillment or to try to find love or to try, we're lonely to try to find companionship and these things that are empty instead of turning to the one true God. We try to boil God down into something that this makes more sense to us. Oh, I pray that we won't. I pray that we'll turn to the true Yahweh and give our hearts and our minds to them, not turn from this, like, like this relenting that's going on. Here's the third thing. God's promise, his, his purpose, his position, it comes true. So this relenting of God doesn't change the fact that this group of people that rebelled against God, they wandered for 40 years in the desert and they never saw the promised land. And God starts over not through Moses, because Moses at the end of the story, he ties himself to this people, but he starts through Joshua. And he takes the, everybody that's under 20 years old, dies in the promised land. We'll talk about that when we get to the 10 spies. And so God t- fulfills what's going to happen here for the people. It just takes 40 years. And oh, how many times are we resistant to the will of God and it prolongs our pain? Like if God asked you to change something in your life, would you do it? No amens on that one. I know, it's hard, right? If God wanted to to remove something out of our life that was causing us pain, but we really like that thing, we just keep prolonging it. We don't let God change our lives. And it causes more and more and more pain until you hit rock bottom. And there's nowhere else to go. And basically you lost it all anyway. And then we turn back to God. What if we were to listen to the voice of God? What if we were to, to look at our idols and say, I don't want those anymore. Lord, take them. Take them away. How would our lives be different? So then, let's keep going in the story. Let's let that one ponder. Verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back. They were written. God had written with his own finger on these tablets, front and back, right, handwriting, Oh, I bet it was good, okay? But he's carrying it down the mountain, right? And so he's going down the mountain. Um, as, as he's going down the mountain, he runs in to Joshua, okay? He says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. 
But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. This is why we think it might have been Hathor. They're singing, dancing, eating and drinking. There's a party happening below. Moses' anger burned hot. Remember, God's wrath burned hot. Now Moses comes down the mountain. He's about to go full rage monster on him, all right? Have you ever seen Dude Perfect, seen Rage Monster? He's about to, he's about to Moses is going to lose it here, right? And he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. God wrote on the tablets, and he's like, ah, right? He runs up to the idol, right? And he took the calf that he had made, and he threw it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder. Boom, he's, he threw it in the water, and he made him drink it. He comes, he's like, full, like, rah, drink this water. But it's got the, drink this water. So now they could feel sick on the inside and realize what they've really done, their depravity and what is really done to them. They're going to feel the weight of it by having to drink this water, which is the ground-up golden idol. Guys, idols are worthless. Find that out before the rage comes, before the wrath comes, okay? And so then he turns to Moses I mean, he turns to Aaron. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? So he turns to the leader, looks him in the eye, and he's like, what happened? And Aaron said, by the way, you know the other great sin, the fall? See if you see any echoes of that kind of happening because this cycle is continuous. It says, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. You know those guys. You know, what, you know what they do? They're evil. What did Eve say? The serpent made me do it. Right? And then he says, For they said to me, Make gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we did not know what has become of him. Moses, it's actually your fault. You took too long. Why did you come down when we thought you were going to come down? Blame, excuses, all around. So I said to them, what should he have said? No, <laughs> go back, keep your earrings. We're not going to make a golden calf, right? But so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> I don't know. They brought a bunch of gold, and I, poof, right? It just showed up, right? I don't, I don't, not my fault. I don't know what happened. Now, I remember back in verse 3, you remember what it said in verse 3? It said that all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Now, we know this, right? If you're a parent, you know this story, right? You've come into the kitchen, you're like, Kale, why is there cookie all over your face? I don't know. Um, did you eat the cookies? No. No. Well, Kale, there is a step stool right on the counter. How did that get there? I don't know. It just, I was walking through the kitchen and it just showed up there. It was just right there. I was going to tell mom, no, I don't want to eat cookies after dinner because, you know, I had her eaten them before and I was going to tell her. We like to make excuses. That is not a real story about Kale, by the way. I just use him because he's a talented man. But um, we like to make excuses. But listen, if you are a leader, stop making excuses. 
Dads, stop making excuses for things that happen in our life. Real leaders take ownership of their mistakes. And listen, if we don't take ownership of our mistakes, we're never going to be able to repent. If you don't realize your sin, how are you ever going to take that to the foot of the cross? If you just deceive yourself and pretend like these things aren't a problem, guess what? You're never going to turn from them. You're always going to turn back to them. So we've got to take ownership of our sin. Guys, it doesn't make you any less. Christ already died for you. You've been made whole in him. You're loved. You're holy because his righteousness is there. We mess up all the time. This week, man, all week long, golden calves in my life have been this flashing up before me, right? I love football. How many hours a week do I spend watching football? It doesn't have to be a golden calf. But guess what? If your whole day is ruined because your team lost, uh, maybe we maybe made it too high. Right? If a person in your life, when they say something hard to you, crushes you, that person might be a golden idol. Now, don't go tell them, like, David, I think you're a golden cow. All right, that just... <laughs> That's going to go bad for you, okay? But recognize in your life that you might have things. If you have a work project, something at work that your whole life is dependent on this project going good, maybe that thing is a golden calf. And maybe if you were to step back and trust in God the provider and trust in Jehovah Nisi the banner, maybe you would be even better at your job. That happened for me. I, used, I coached football at Hayes for many, many years. And the reason that I called the two-minute offense Right? reason I called the, the last few minutes of the game was because my life wasn't dependent on winning. I'm defined by Jesus Christ, not by whether or not we win a football game. And guess what? I was a better football coach because I didn't freak out in the moment. No, no moment was too big because it wasn't that big. And it made me better at my job because I wasn't so tied up emotionally in what was going on. And that happens for all of us. When we're better parents, when God is our one true worship, besides our kids. Our marriage is better when God is the one true thing we worship, not our wives. Right? You're a better worker when God is the one you worship instead of your job. When you realize your job is something that you should be doing for the Lord, not for the provision and so when we can do those things and, and get our eyes off of our idols and get our eyes upon the one true God, it makes us better at the things that we're doing in this life because God has created us to do these good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us to do them. So it's a beautiful thing for us to be able to walk through in this story. Now, do you all remember that old radio show, The Rest of the Story? I think I learned first service that was Paul Harvey. Is that right? Okay, right, the rest of the story. Now, this is where the Sunday school story stops. Okay, like, you know, we've all heard the golden calf story in Sunday school, right? Well, that story stops right here because the rest of it is like, ooh, you're going to see why it stops in a second because this is going to make you wrestle right here. Okay, so here's what it says, starting in the next verse. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, to the derision of their enemies. Notice how he's, the leader still has responsibility in that as well. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. So here's Moses. He's just got done with Rage Monster, right? He comes to the edge like, Who's for me? Who's for the Lord? Yahweh. Come to this side. And he's going around. Are you for me? Are you against me? And that's, he's going and he's challenging them. And he tells the Levites, he says, 
gather around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. He's going to go to them and say, are you for me? Nope. Right? Are you for me? Yes. Worship the Lord God. Are you for me? Right? And they're, they're going to go around and they're going to slaughter the people that are not on the Lord's side. Woo! This is not why they don't teach in Sunday school. Okay. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of the Lord, of word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Woo! 3,000 people were killed. That's tough. Remember, revelation or imagination? We, in our own imagination, go, how could God kill them? That is just, that is so wrong. That is mean. That's ugly. That's terrible. And it is rough. Maybe God's saying, this is like surgery. I need to remove the rebellion from this people before it gets worse. Before this rebellion in the hearts of these men who are not willing to say, therefore the Lord ruins the whole bunch. Destroys more people. Ooh, revelation, imagination, right? You've heard people say, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament, he, he's, he's rough. He's fierce. He will eradicate sin. He does it through his own death through Jesus on the cross. But he's not afraid to do it other ways as well, to cut out of your life things that are destroying you. Do you want him to do that? Do you want him to take out of your life things that are killing you? Be careful. Right? Some of those things that are killing you are things you really, really love. Right? So, oh, it's tough. Um, and by the way, before we get too far, the law brings about death, but Jesus brings life. You know, and something interesting happens in um, Acts chapter 2. Right? Pentecost happens, right? The Holy Spirit is coming upon them. And everybody's like cut to the heart, right? Verse 37 says, they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, like, what should we do? And Peter says, go, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit, right? It's an incredible story, right? And the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom calls on the Lord, and calls to himself, who the Lord calls himself. And then it says this. It's pretty interesting. Do you remember how many people were added to the kingdom that day? 3,000. The law brings death. The spirit brings life. It's not an accident that the initiation of the covenant of God with the people brought about death of 3,000. But the new covenant where he, he cuts out the heart of stone and gives us heart of flesh... 3,000 are added to the kingdom at that same time. He's bringing life. This is why we get rid of our idolatry, because it brings death. We turn to Jesus, who gives us life. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. And the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Good word, atonement. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book 
as that you have written. So Moses throws in his, his lot with the people of Israel. Lord, forgive them. Don't blot them out. Right? I'm, I'm putting my lot with them. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron had made. That our sin has consequences, right? And you would think, if you were in the people of Israel, you would learn from this story. But if you turn a few pages to the right into 1 Kings um, chapter 12, you'll notice that history repeats itself. Um, And if we're honest, isn't that true of us? History repeats itself. If we're not willing to lay down our idols, they just tend to come up again. Look what happens here in uh, verse 25. It's talking about this kingdom. The the kingdoms have split when Solomon was reigning. When Solomon died, there's Israel and there's Judah, and they've split. And we see this king, Jeroboam, he built in Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel, which is another name for Peniel, which is where Jacob wrestled with God and he got to see God face to face. Okay, And then it says, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Did you not see what happened with the people? And yet here he is, because of his own protection as king, he sets up golden calves in Dan and Bethel and says, Hey, come worship Yahweh, the golden calf, once again. History has a habit of repeating itself when we don't build our foundation on the revelation of God, the word, both Jesus Christ, the word, and also the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God. So this week, what is our house built on? Hopefully it's built upon the word of God. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we look at this story, um, it is so convicting in our own lives and in our own hearts. It's like a mirror. Lord, I pray that you will help us to have clean hands and a pure heart this week. That we'll lay down and cast down our idols. Lord, convict us this week of areas that we have given away. So that we can have true life in you. Lord, you're an amazing God. You're fierce and loving. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see you as you truly are. The creator of the universe. Lord, help us to give our lives completely to you by trusting in Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. have a few announcements for you as you make your way out. I wanted to remind you that we have tables set up outside, and those are uh, tables that we have folders there for you to look at different opportunities uh, that are available for serving for Night in Bethlehem. For those of you who have never heard of Night in Bethlehem, this is our annual great, great outreach. We get to share the gospel with about two to 3,000 people that come walking through 
uh, a story, and this year we're doing it through the eyes of the Roman soldiers. So just an exciting time for us as a church to work together and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to look at those uh, folders. We also have our annual banquet coming up. It's November the 6th. This is a time for us to be able to celebrate what the Lord has been doing through Fellowship Church. So I want to encourage you, put that as a save the date, and we'll have a sign up uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. This is our closing verse for you to meditate on as you go uh, about your day. It says here in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So may you find mercy and grace this week as you go about your day.